really the echo of our heart that without Jesus we are hopeless and helpless. And so we ask and we pray and we seek you and we know that without Jesus we have no rescue. And so Lord, today we pray that you would come to our rescue knowing that we are all sinners, we are all saved by grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of your son Jesus Christ. And so we pray today that we would experience that. And God, if there is anybody here who has never experienced that, maybe they've never put their faith and trust in Christ, that you would open their hearts, that God, your spirit would be active and moving around us, that you would speak to us through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How's everybody doing? Are you awake? Now, if this was a Chiefs game, you guys would be cheering your heads off. Maybe. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, um, and we're going to be continuing our Come to the Table series, and I want to encourage you what we've talked about, and I know it's very simple, we don't have a lot of elaborate things, but we talked about the benefits of what it means to eat together as a family, what it means to be brought to the table, what it means to come to the table, and, and we talked a number of things, and I, I've stressed this every week, but we've, we've looked at the benefits of eating together. Um, at a table as a family. And the table really is carried out in a picture of what the church should be. The church really is kind of this aspect of the table where people come together, united around something, and, and they, they, they eat together. And so um, last week we talked about a number of things. We were really talking about becoming everything God created you to be. Now this week we're going to stress that in a, in a different sense, in a different way, because last week we talked about eating. And if you remember last week, I didn't want to really re-discuss uh, it necessarily, but if you remember last week, we had a high chair, right? And in a high chair, a kid eats, a baby eats, all right? We talked about craving pure spiritual milk. We, we talked about those things. But as you move from milk, you move into what? Food. All right, and I thought about this, and I wish I would have done it, but maybe I didn't, because I really didn't want to rehash or, 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 or go over everything again. But I want you to think about when we go from milk to solid food, there's a process that takes place there. And if you remember, you go from milk to what's really next, baby food, right? And baby food's kind of, I mean, in my opinion, I mean, it says green beans. Sometimes it tastes like green beans. You know, and there are other things you're like, man, this, you know, this is like good. Like, but can you imagine eating baby food all your life? Like, could you imagine going to Walmart, walking down the aisle, and grabbing the turkey spaghetti squash beets mixture? You know, and now for all those who are in the military, like, what are you talking about, dude? That's called MREs. You know, like, like that's what we ate, you know. When you're in the military, you just kind of sit down and say, oh, hey, you know, look, look at what the, the, your government loves you so much, they give you this food. Um, so, <laughs> it comes across. But, but think about it. You don't want to eat like that your entire life. You want to move on to, to good things. You want to move on to, like, steak. You want to move on to baked chicken or grilled chicken or blackened salmon. You know, I just, my son's eyes lit up. You know, like, like as a kid, I hated fish. My son's like, if I could eat fish every day, we'd be golden. Uh, but, but those are things that you want to move on. You want to eat solid food. And so we talk about this idea of eating solid food, but then there's something that has to take place. 
All right? There is something that in reality we have to do. And so I want to cover real quick the benefits of family meal time one more time. Number one, we said there was this better academic performance for kids. Now, this is a worldly study. This is a, a secular study that just said, hey, here's what happens when people eat together. But I take it and I'm going to say, look, here's what happens when we as a church come together, when we invite people into the table to eat with us, people who have different backgrounds, people who don't even believe the same as us yet, we're going to invite them to the table, and here's what happens. Number one, better academic performance, they say, all right? From this standpoint, when you are actively involved in the church, when you are a part of the church, you are growing in your relationship, here's what happens. You become better equipped to take your faith or to share your faith or to live your faith out. So there's a better academic performance, number one, when you draw to the table. Number two is this, you're going to be physically healthier. The Bible is very clear when it says this, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I will stand by this and live. If you live to eat, in other words, if you're, if you're eating in life physically, all right, there has to be something that takes place so that you can be healthy. It's called eating what? Healthy or properly, right? Like if I eat, you know, I use this, if I eat McDonald's all the time, I might turn into a McDonald's burger, you know? I mean, like, it's just the way it is. You're, you're not going to be, so I eat healthy, so I'm going to be physically healthier, and likewise, it's going to be the same way in your spiritual realm. Number two, it says it lowers, or number three, lowers risk or high-risk behavior, okay? Families that eat together, it was shown that teenagers, it's a lower high-risk behavior out of teenagers, and I will say this wholeheartedly, when you are actively involved in the church, when you're growing your relationship with Christ, it's going to lower your high-risk behavior. You're going to make better decisions, hopefully, because you're going to make decisions based upon what would Jesus ask me to do rather than what do I want to do. So it's going to lower my high-risk behavior. Number four, we said it's going to lower your rate of depression and suicidal thoughts. Families that ate together experience lower rates of depression and suicidal thoughts. And I believe this wholeheartedly. Listen to me. Depression and suicide is a massive problem within our culture. And I think one of the best answers ever is number one, a relationship with Jesus. Number two, relationship with other people within the church. Why? Because I'm guaranteeing you, life is going to give you a right hook out of nowhere and going to knock you on your feet, and you're going to have to require or, or, or go call out to somebody for help. Man, I need help. I am going through the deepest, darkest valley in my life, and I need somebody to, to encourage me. I need somebody to pray with me. I need somebody to lift me up, somebody who's going to help me out during this time. And there is no greater feeling than to have people within your church to have that to have your back, to support you. And I'm just telling you, if you haven't gone through it, you will go through it. And it may not be deep, dark depression where you need medication or things like that, but you're going to go through depression at some point. You're going to go through hard times. But a family that eats together can get through those hard times. Number five, you have a more positive outlook on the future, more positive moods. All right. One of the things that we can see is that regardless of what happens, our future is secure. Matter of fact, we just sang about that. I am secure in Christ. Number six, I have a sense of belonging and a higher self-esteem. Listen to me. When you come to Christ, when you have a relationship with Christ, when you understand what's going on, you understand that God has a purpose and a plan. He has value on you. You are valued regardless 
But when you come to Christ, he says, I give you purpose and meaning. I've got something greater in store for you. It doesn't stop just at becoming a Christian. It doesn't stop at putting my faith and trust in Jesus. He says, I have something greater in store for you, which is where we're going to go into today. Because I believe that's something that we have to begin to understand. So I have a sense of belonging, a higher self-esteem, a more positive view of the future. And then number, the last one is the developed spiritual formation. We grow into the knowledge that we understand. And so when we talk about the table, when I talk about the table, I have to reference really a lot of what I grew up with as well as what we focus on as a family. At our table, we try and have fun. Now, if you were to come to our house, and I'm going to just, I'm going to lay this out point blank so you understand it. When you come to our house, yes, we eat around the table, but if you know anything about our family, you got about five minutes because we inhale. Everybody's like, good night, you guys eat fast. My sister comes in and I stand by this. My sister comes in and she sits down and we're all done eating and it's like she's taking her second bite. She's like, you guys are done already? We're like, yeah, we just, we eat. You know, we laugh, we joke around, we talk about what's going on in school, we talk about what's going on in life, we talk about spiritual things, we talk about uh, everyday things that the kids are facing or what we face, but we eat, and we eat quick. Like, you come to our house, now, this, will, this changes, when we invite you to our house, we kind of take it a little slower, to a certain extent. Like, when I sit down with my plate, it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got one goal, it's like, eat food. Okay, but it's, it's something that takes place around the table. When we are around a table, we invite people in so we can connect and build relationships. We invite people over because we want to feed you. I mean, the whole point is getting what? Fed. But it doesn't stop there because I think it has to move beyond. One of the goals that we've always had is that <clears throat> I remember, number one, when I was in the Navy, the multiple times where I would go to a church um, and it was just kind of like, eh, you know, they could take it or leave it. It was like I was more of a nuisance than a benefit. You know, being a guest, it was like, well, that's great you're here, but... And what we always said from the get-go, once, once Sarah and I got married, when, or when we got married and we were visiting churches for a little bit, we always said, we don't want to be the people who look at people that come to church as a problem. We want to have strong relationships. So everywhere we've been, whether it was Texas or Springfield or here, we have worked on building relationships with people. Easiest way to do it is around a what? A table. A table is intimate. A table has meaning. A table says, I may eat quickly, but I'm not in a rush to get you out of my house. And so what we're going to do today is look at what it means to really be a part of the table and then to serve at a table. See, our kids have responsibility when dinner comes. Anybody else's kids have a responsibility? Whether it's lunch, dinner, or breakfast, if they're home for lunch, because obviously school, they have responsibilities. They set the table. Some mornings, there's been a couple mornings where the, the, the kids are like, hey, we want to cook breakfast. Okay, you got breakfast. Ethan loves to cook eggs. Brooklyn likes to cook eggs. All right, they'll, they'll want to cook pancakes. They want to help with the process. What I always find interesting is this. They always want to help with the process. But at the end, what is it like? Oh, see you later. I'm busy. I got a lot of problems. So if you have your Bibles, flip to this because I want you to understand a number of things that I think that we have to see is that we all have a responsibility 
to help prepare dinner, to help prepare in the process, and we all have a responsibility in helping clean up in the process. So, 1 Peter, starting in chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, and it says this, the end of what? All things. The end of all things is near. And so Peter says, look, here's the deal. The big picture is the end is coming, so pay attention to this. Because here's what he says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, what's therefore, therefore? Because he's trying to communicate something very clearly. Therefore, because the end is near, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can pray. All right? Here's the funny thing, and and this is the thing I want to say. I'm just going to kind of unpack this to a certain extent just to let you know. When we start talking about the end, do you ever notice how Christians get? A lot of times they're not this. They're not clear-minded and self-controlled. They're weird. Like when political things come up, the weird people come out of the woodworks. It's like it's the end of the world. Oh my gosh, as Christians, it shouldn't be this idea that we got to freak out. As a Christian, it should be, hey, because the end is coming, because it's a possibility, because this is the way Jesus is orchestrating things, because this is the way God is going to work things out, then I need to be clear-minded and self-controlled. I need to have a sober thought process in what's going on so that I can pray. I know the end is coming. As a matter of fact, Christians shouldn't be overwhelmed or surprised the fact that the end will come. Peter's laying this out. Because the end is near, you need to be clear-minded. You need to be self-controlled so that you can pray. Because a lot of times people turn into the weird, freaky people because they're so flipped out about this is another sign that the end is coming. And what Peter says is, look, you got to understand, the end is going to come. So don't flip out. Don't go crazy. Rather, be self-controlled. Be clear-minded. So that you can pray. Listen again to what he says. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear minded and self controlled so that you should pray. So that you can pray. Verse 8. Above all. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So here's the big picture. Here's the reality. Here's what I want you to begin to see. We talk about, and we've laid this out, this believe, belong, become, be sent. That's our vision. Our mission is to take life in Christ to our neighbors and nations, our vision, which is, helps us accomplish our mission. We want to take life to our neighbors and life to the nations. Then we work through this process. We want people to believe the truth of Jesus Christ, to belong to a cause bigger than themselves. That's the church. Remember, we want to invite people to be a part of the church, even people who don't believe. Hey, guess what? Chair one for people who don't believe. They're going to be walking through life's process. They're going to have questions. They're going to have doubts. They're going to have insecurities. And we want to stand by the truth of Jesus Christ and invite people to the table. Hey, you don't believe like us? It's okay. There's still a chair for you. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is the way. 
Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He is the answer for all of life's most difficult questions. So we invite people to the chair, to the table, to sit. And listen to me, if a church does not have people who are not believers in it, you're missing out on the biggest boat, the biggest picture, the biggest influence you have. The church needs to have relationships with lost people, period. So if you're a believer, remember you are the church. The church is the people, not a building. The church needs to have relationships with lost people. You need to invite people to the table into your life who are lost so that you can invest in them. That's our goal. So in order to believe, to belong, we want them to belong to the cause bigger than themselves, to become everything God created them to be. Do you know how many people miss out on life? Miss out on the experience of life because they don't become everything God created them to be. As a matter of fact, I would even say sometimes our dreams and our visions of ourselves are too small. Because God thinks of so much more for you to do. God's like, man, I got some great things in store for this person to do. And our dreams oftentimes hinder what God wants to do because we're, we dream too small. And so today I wanted to cover this aspect of becoming everything God created. Last week we talked about growing in our relationship with Christ, learning to read the word and study and things like that. But in order to become all that God created you to be, you have to learn the different roles and find a place to contribute to the meal. Remember what I said, my kids are asked to contribute. So my kids set the table. One of them will set the, 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 the plates and the other, another one's going to do napkins and silverware. Another one may be doing other things. And at the end, they're going to do cleanup. But there's a role that everybody plays when we serve the meal. Remember, the church's role or the church's goal is to serve the bread of life. I didn't bring bread this time. I'm not going to throw around, not, not Lambert's anymore, all right? But we want to serve the bread of life. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so the church's role is to serve the bread of life to give out nutrients to people who are in need of it. So the church's goal, serve the bread of life. But everybody needs to have, play a part. Listen to me, everybody. Matter of fact, I've thought about this. I know churches have done it in the past, but I've thought about doing like a, hey, nobody's gonna volunteer anywhere Sunday and see how things go. No sound? It'd kind of be hard, wouldn't it? Because our whole praise team is volunteer. Sound guys, Volunteer. Kids ministry people, volunteers. Youth people, volunteers. Greeters, volunteers. Safety team, volunteers. Do you see what ends up happening? But listen, when we all play our role, when we all are a part of, of getting and preparing the meal, setting the table, serving the drinks, serving the food, putting out the silverware, we're all able to accomplish something greater together than we ever were apart. I think about this, and I think about how many times Sarah has sacrificed because she's prepared the meal, set the table because we were busy doing stuff and done it all. The problem with that is this. Who carries the weight? In my family, it would have been Sarah. In some churches, who carries the weight? Might be the pastor, might be a few key leaders within the church. But listen, when everybody comes together and everybody takes part in the process of preparing the meal and serving the meal and inviting people to the table, guess what happens? There's a greater impact 
more people's lives are touched with the truth of Jesus Christ than if one person or two people were taking part in it. So here's the big picture. Here's the big statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. We are gifted by God to serve and be a part of what he is doing. We are gifted by God to serve and be a part of what he is doing. God is at work around the world. God is at work here in Independence. God is at work in Kansas City. God is at work in Missouri. He's at work in the United States. And I know that's sometimes hard to believe when you look at everything that's going on. But God is at work. What we have to do is find out where God's working. We have to use our gifts to serve God and be a part of what he's already doing. So remember that. We are gifted by God to serve and be a part of what he's doing. So here's three things. I want you to see these three things today that we're going to look at as we dig in and, and see what he's saying here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Number one, in order to understand our giftedness and stuff, we have to live with the end in mind. When we invite you over to dinner, I'm not just looking at the process of, hey, I want to feed you. Anybody know what the end in mind, like the idea of what it is when you invite somebody over? What is the big goal, the big picture when you invite somebody over to your house? To feed them? Maybe. Reality is, what is the big picture? My big picture, or our big picture, is to build a relationship with somebody, to get to know people. Maybe we already know them, so it's to get to know them better or get to hang out with them, to, to build a deeper friendship, a deeper relationship, to, to, to just talk, to hang out. And look, sometimes we invite people over because they need some investment. Sometimes we invite people over because we really just want to hang out with them. But the idea is I live with the end in mind. There is a goal, and Jesus has a goal. Jesus is coming back. So when we live with the end in mind, he says you live with a clear mind, a sober mind, a selfless life, and you understand that we can pray to God about everything that's going on. So he lays this out. The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So I live with the end in mind. See, there's going to be difficult times for the church. Why? Because persecution is going to come up. It's going to happen. It may not happen here as it has happened in other areas, but it will happen here eventually. See, we must live every day as if it's our last. Matter of fact, uh, you see this over and over and over again, but if you knew, if you knew tomorrow was your last day here on earth, how would you live? Would you live differently? And I almost even say this, if you would live differently, then you're not keeping the end in mind on an everyday basis because you should live every day like it's your last day. Every time you tell your kids or your wife or your husband goodbye, you should think that this could be the last time. We have friends who are, are part of the uh, Green County Sheriff's Department down in Springfield. I don't know if anybody saw what happened this week, but they had all the flooding down there and one of the officers had responded to 911 call and it was coming back and apparently his car got swept off the road and he ended up dying. And they talked about how it was hard. You know, one of, my, one, of, one of the guys who went to our church was a sheriff, and he just shared. He's like, man, this is one of the hardest things to walk through. It's bad enough to lose somebody, but even in that situation, you're like, man, if you live each day like it's your last, with a clear mind and sober thought, praying, for everybody in every circumstance, in every situation, then you will begin to understand what it means to be on board with what God wants to do. 
to become everything that God created you to be. See, that's the biggest picture. Do I want to become everything that God created me to be, or am I good with just being ho-hum? And I'm I'm even going to just throw this out there. Imagine, imagine what would happen if churches became so fired up that they said, we're going to become everything God created us to be. Not status quo, not settling, not just just getting by, but, but becoming everything that God created you to be as an individual, as a person, as a contributor to the church, as you brought people to the table, as you served the meal, as you served the bread of life. Imagine what it would look like to be that type of a person in that type of a church. So we live with the end in mind. Why? Because we're gifted by God to serve and be a part of what he's doing. See, God's doing great things. God's at work. His spirit's moving, it's active, it's breathing, it's moving around right now. He's calling people to him. He's working in the community. He's working here in independence. So what do we got to do? We ought to pray. Our dependence is on God as we near the end. That's the biggest thing. We should have a dependence on God as we near the end. Why? Because that's what he's called us to do. So I live with the end in mind. Number two, I show love with grace. Listen again what he says. Above all, love each other what? Deeply. Anybody know what the word love is there? If you know anything about love in Greek, there's, there's three words it could be. There's phileo love, which is what? Anybody know? That's, that's where we get the city of Philadelphia, brotherly love. All right, it's a brotherly love. There's eros love, which is like an erotic love. All right, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife type stuff. All right, and then there's agape love. Agape love is an unconditional love means it's not based upon what you've done or who you are. It's an unconditional love. God showed his love first for us, an unconditional love, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All right? So there's this unconditional love. So as a, as a result, because the end is near, because I'm spending time in prayer, he says, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Listen to me. It doesn't mean that you're making a way for that person. You're not buying that person's sins. Your love for them, because it's an unconditional love, overlooks their flaws, their imperfections, their, their, their whatever you want to call them, their, their, their weird tics right? It's an overlooking of them. It's like, I'm a sinner. I've been saved by grace. So I overlook that person's sins. Why? Because they, if they have put their faith and trust in Christ, have been saved by grace. And listen to me, even if they haven't put their faith and trust in Christ, Jesus died on the cross so they could be saved by grace through faith. So I show love with grace. And here's the beauty of it. As I look at this, the love of most will grow cold, is what Scripture says. As the end draws near, the love of most will grow cold. And that is written to the people in the church, knowing that the church would grow cold as a result. And so listen, the big picture is this. Since the love of most will grow cold, Peter is trying to remind him of this. Above all else... Because of the end in mind, because you're self-controlled, because you're clear-minded, because you spend time in prayer, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Here's the reality. The most forgiving people in the world, the most loving people in the world, the most gracious people in the world should be people who are the church, Christians. I hope you heard that. 
the most forgiving, the most loving, the most gracious people in the world should be the people in the church. And unfortunately or sadly, sometimes I think we come across very harsh. Matter of fact, I would even say it this way. All you got to do is look at today's political landscape. The most gracious people in the world should be the church. The most forgiving people in the world should be the church. And all we have to do is look at the... (laughs) I have to watch myself sometimes. I've learned on social media to not... I don't respond. I don't make that sound bad. I don't. I ignore. I see pastors. I see people who are Christians respond to certain things in certain ways at certain times. And I just don't. I think it's better to remain silent than look like a fool. And sadly... For some people, and it's not all people, but for some people, the political deliverance has become the idol with which we live by. That's become the God in our life. And I don't care if you're pro-Trump, anti-Trump. I don't care if you're pro-Obama, anti-Obama. I don't care if you're pro-Republican, anti-Republican, pro-Democrat, anti-Democrat. The reality is the discourse that takes place, and Christians are just as heavily involved in it, is pathetic. It's annoying. And it's not Christ-like. Because it doesn't show love with grace. It doesn't learn to listen to somebody. Matter of fact, I just had a recent conversation. We're on two totally opposite spectrums when it comes to politics. And we sat down and had a conversation. And she, at one point, said, Man, I wish everybody would sit down and have a conversation like this. And she left and she goes... You make me think because everything that you said was backed up with Scripture. And that's the reality. Our lives should be backed up with Scripture. So when I stand on where I stand, I call out what I call out. Why? Because it's not Christ-like. Because I should stand on the truth of Christ first, the Word of God first and foremost. So I show love with grace. So listen to what he says. Above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And here's what he begins to say then. Offer hospitality. So I want you to see this. We're going to kind of break this down. Show love with grace. Why? Because the love of most will grow cold. Instead, our love must grow stronger. So number one, under showing love with grace is offering hospitality. Listen, if you only offer hospitality who think to people who think just like you, act like just like you, and believe just like you, you will never make an impact on a society that needs the gospel in such a great way. I offer hospitality, I offer humility, I offer service to those who don't know. As a matter of fact, Peter's really laying this out to offer hospitality to one another within the church. But I think we can go even farther. I must be inviting, I must be caring for and serving the needs of those misplaced by persecution, but also being hospitable to those within the church and those outside the church. So I show love not grace, by, or show love with grace by offering hospitality. 
Listen, there's a great deal of things, and I said it last week, there are so many things that people will post on social media that you would never say if you were sitting down at a table with somebody else, would you? Because you could actually have a conversation. You could talk through the disagreements. You could even disagree. And you could still think about this. Because in today's world, this is one of those things that just goes haywire. You know that you can disagree with somebody and still love them. I just want to make sure we're clear on that, right? Like, you can disagree with somebody and still love them, right? I mean, you guys love me, even though I know I root for the best team in the NFL. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you can disagree and still love somebody, can't you? I mean, like, my son likes the Seattle Seahawks. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's just one of those things. Why, why does it have to be that if we disagree with somebody, we can't love them? We can't hang out with them. You can't think like them. You can't even talk to them. But that's what exactly what happens. As a matter of fact, I would even say this. If you find yourself on social media becoming this person who wants to post things without having a conversation, just slow down. Back off. Because there are so many things that we say that just tear apart a problem or make the problem bigger than it would ever become if we just sat across. Matter of fact, I'll even say this, because I don't think it's just social media. There are times in the past when I was growing up in church that gossip was the epicenter of a problem. Because we would go and talk to everybody else instead of talking to the person. And maybe it was even in school. But when I show love with grace by offering hospitality, by serving somebody, listen to what happens. When I serve somebody, I'm putting myself lower than them. And a matter of fact, Jesus at one point says, if you want to be great within the kingdom, you have to serve man. And there's a a common statement, a common uh, thing I've heard over and over and over again that basically says this, if serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. Because if you can't serve, if you can't offer hospitality to others, then you shouldn't lead. A good leader, matter of fact, I, I can say this from a military standpoint, all my time in the Navy, the best leaders were guys who got dirty, who served the people who were over them. In other words, they, they got down. They worked. They led by example. They served the people who were under them, even though they were over them. And listen to me, the guys I served with, when you were under a leader like that, would give their life for that leader. Why? Because he was a good leader. Because he wasn't beyond doing what he was asking me to do. So I offer hospitality. I show love and grace through offering hospitality. Listen, to me, I, I understand this, and I think it's one of those things. It's foundational. Hospitality is foundational in building strong relationships. Matter of fact, think about this, guys. Wait, guys. When you want to date a girl, there's a movie. Used to be, okay? You go to a movie, right? What happens in a movie? <laughs> Okay, you might make out. There we go. <laughs> okay, but for, the, for, for those who didn't make out, what did you do? You watched the movie. Do you talk? No. But what happens when you go out to eat? 
Well, you eat, but you're, you're kind of forced to talk, right? Or there might be just that awkward stare. All right? But offering hospitality is the whole idea is to build a strong relationship. Hospitality helps you meet others and hear their story. When I invite others in and I want to be hospitable, I meet other people and I learn their story. It reminds me also that I am a steward of everything that God gave me. Matter of fact, if you come to our house, I'm going to promise you at some point you will eat wild game and you won't know it. I can guarantee it. Just telling you that. I've had multiple people tell me, I'd never eat that in my life. And they'll come over, they eat it. I'm like, <laughs> hey, guess what you ate? Shut up. No way. Oh, yeah. To me, that's a gift, all right? I love to steward what God has given me, and that is I like to shoot animals, so get over it, all right? Hospitality is our evidence of love for others, all right? When I invite you over, it's, an, it's an, in essence, I'm saying, hey, I love you, man. Come on in. I want you to be a part of our family. I want you to be a part of our life, and it's not about small talk. Hospitality goes beyond small talk. Why? Because it leads to vulnerability. Think about this. When you invite somebody to your home, you're inviting them into your mess, right? It's like, hey, this is us, you know? You come to our house, you're going to see times where I'm going to unload on my kids, all right? I'm going to crack the whip. I'm going to drop the hammer. Why? Because they're out of line. And you're going to be like, man, that guy might be tough, all right? But there are going to be times where you're going to see grace. You're going to see laughter. You're going to see fun. You're going to, those are things. Those are vulnerability. I am inviting you into my life. And when you serve in your hospital to somebody else, you're inviting those people into your life and you're putting yourself in a vulnerable state that reveals the true nature of your heart, but it also shows people who you really are, the real you. So I show love with grace by offering hospitable or hospitality. Number two, by using your gifts. Now here's what I want to say, and this is how I want to wrap up today is really this. I show love with grace by using my gifts. Listen again to what he says now in verse nine. Offer hospitality to one another without, without grumbling. All right, number 10 or verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Listen to me, and here's the big picture. When everybody comes together, we've talked on spiritual gifts and things like this, but when everybody comes together who's a part of the church and they use their gifts to help set the table, to help prepare the food, to help clean up or whatever it is, Everybody is a part of faithfully administering the grace of God to everybody else. It can't be done, well, it can be done by everybody, but every, or by one person, but everybody else misses out on the blessing. When everybody, as the church, comes together using their gifts, faithfully administering everything goes out, here's the great news. All of this builds up and leads to the culmination of everything, and that is that God's glory is made known. Listen again. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve yourself. No. To serve only your family. Nope. To serve only the people you love. Uh Uh-uh. To serve people you disagree with? Yep. But it says to serve others. Each one should use whatever gift he has faithfully received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. Every time you are a part of serving within the church, what are you doing? You're administering God's grace to other people. You are dishing it out. You are showing them what God has done in your life. You are a part of the big picture church table coming together 
to provide hospitality for those who may not be believers, those who are brand new believers, those who are teenagers, and those who are adults. And a church that's missing one of these in any way, shape, or form is not a balanced church. You need to have people who are lost. You need to have people who are seeking truth, who haven't put their faith and trust in Christ so that you can invest in them. You need new believers who are going to be craving pure spiritual milk, who maybe not even on baby food yet, so you can teach them how to live, how to be obedient, how to walk in Jesus. You need teenagers who are going to do dumb things. Am I right? Like teenagers tend to run to doing dumb things. At least I did when I was a teenager. It's crazy, all right? But you need those guys so they can eventually become adults. They can make wise decisions. They can work in the process. They can become somebody who's going to contribute to the bigger picture. See, we want all four of those evident at our church, and we need all four of those evident. But when I use my gifts, whether that's the gift of, of working as a greeter or somebody who works in hospitality and works down the kitchen or somebody who's musically talented or somebody who says, look, I got an ear for that stuff, but I can't sing a lick, and I'm going to work in the sound booth or if I'm going to work back in the kids' area, look, I, I understand not everybody works around kids. I was a youth pastor for 12 years, and people would be like, how do you do it? And I just look at him and go, I don't know how the nursery workers do it, man, because I could not. Like, my kid, fine. Changing somebody else's diaper? Eh, eh, no. It's not my kid. You should have seen me the first time I had to change his diaper. Like, after he started eating solid food. My wife's like, you're such a wuss. I'm sitting there going, ah, ah, <laughs> She's like, oh, please, get it, you know, suck it up, dude. You're a weakling. You're, you're a whip. And I was just like, ah, you know dry heaving everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so listen to me. But, but, but look at this. Here's the big picture. When the praise team serves, because that's what they've been gifted to do, and the, the, the sound guys or the, the video people or the Sunday school and Bible study teachers and life group leaders and our kids are in our youth leader, when everybody is a part of setting the table and serving the food, guess what happens? You get to experience the grace that God gives out to you and the strength. Listen, listen again. I want, I want to even go one step farther. If anyone speaks, he should do as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Listen to me. When you take part in serving and being a part of and using your gifts, guess what supernaturally happens? You are able to do things that you were never able to do on your own. Why? Because God gives you the strength to accomplish everything he's called you to do in the first place. That's the beauty of how the church works. And so just as I talked about how my kids or our kids are responsible for setting a table, for being a part of it, at times preparing the meal, at times cleaning up from the meal, at times they're going to be setting the table for the meal. Just as that is in the role of our family, that is the role of the family of God, that is the role of the church, that everybody contributes to being a part of asking people to come to the table. Why? Because we want these people who are in the lost chair, the seeker chair, the people who aren't Christians yet, we want them to move from here to becoming a parent an adult, a person who says, this isn't about me, this is about God and accomplishing his mission. And an adult, in the Christian sense, is somebody who sees that multiplication, the good news of Jesus Christ, the great commission is the first and foremost thing that is always primary in their heart. 
I love what's going on probably within the last three to five years, I would say, that I've never seen before in the past. Churches are less territorial. Churches are working better together. I have, I have never been a part of seeing things like I've seen since I've been here, even in Independence, where guys of, of different denominations, I meet once a month with guys from different denominations down in downtown Kansas City, and we talk about how we can plant churches in the Kansas City area. The goal is, right now we're at 11 churches, the goal is to have 100 churches planted by 2030. We're at 11. Cross-denominationally. Brothers in Christ working together to accomplish a bigger purpose. Why? Because we're adults. Multiplication is the key. That more churches are planted and more disciples are made is the biggest thing we could ever do. That's the number one key. And the last thing, I told you I was going to give you three. Number one, we said, is we live with the end in mind. Number two, we show love with grace by offering hospitality, by using our gifts in service. And then number three is this. Through all of this, God is praised by our service. Listen again what he says. Starting in verse uh, 11, kind of halfway through. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides Listen, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. See, when the church works together, when the people of God come together to serve the meal, the bread of life, it's not about my selfishness, my desires, my goals, my, 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 my. It's all about Christ. So that God is praised by our service in everything I do. And here's, here's one of my encouragements to you. If you are a volunteer and you've been serving here at the church we want you to know that it does not go unnoticed. You are loved, you are appreciated, and we know without a doubt you don't get thanks enough. If I could in any way, shape, or form give you praise every week, I would love to do it. There are so many people here who serve. Literally. I love it. Matter of fact, our church would fall if it wasn't for that. They say the standard church is about 10% of the people serve. All right? Ours is way beyond that, but I don't want it to stop and go, hey, we, we're, we're at a good spot. My goal as a pastor is that every member is serving somewhere. Why? It's not just for the benefit of us. It's for your benefit. Because listen again, one more time. God is praised by our service so that in all things God may be praised. That God uses you in a great way so that God gets the glory, not you. So that God uses you in a way to change somebody's life. Think about this. If you're the person who invites somebody to the church and this person becomes a believer, you had a hand to play in it. And now we have maybe a youth pastor or a kid's worker or somebody who's here who's going to take this person from here to here and start to teach them the basic truths of the gospel, to teach them how to live, how to be obedient, to love Jesus with everything they have, and to take Jesus to the world. And we want to move that person from a child to a teenager to an adult. Everybody plays a role in that. It can't be just the pastor. It can't be just, in old school ways, paid staff. It has to be everybody. So we work together to accomplish the biggest picture that God has ever created, to become all that God created us to be, not just individually, but as a church. 
That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of why Jesus died. Jesus died so that he could show us how to live, how to be obedient. He died for our sins so that we didn't have to carry those sins. And he says, I died so that you can have the strength of me living inside you so you can accomplish greater things than you ever dreamed of or imagined. So my question just is this. Maybe you're actively involved in serving the church, and I applaud you and I thank you. Have you invited anybody to the seat? Maybe you're a person who says, hey, look, I've got plenty of people to invite to the seat. They're just not sure they want to come. Okay, start where they're at, and then invite them to be a part of it. Because remember, the church is the people. And the last thing is this. If you're not serving and you're a member of the church, I want to just ask you this. Why? Why not? Because you're missing out on the greatest blessing because you're part of it. You're part of setting the table and serving the food. You could sit in a recliner and watch your TV all you want. But when you serve, you get a special reward. And I'm not necessarily talking finances and everything else. I'm talking about the ability to see God work and use you in a greater way. So let's pray. Father, we know that this can be a tough and touchy subject at times. But God, we also know that we want to do what we do for your glory, not for our glory, not for our namesake, not for our popularity or anything else like that. And so God, we know that you want to work in and through your people. And so God, today I pray that there would just be a commitment in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's a commitment to invite people in, to become a part of it, to, to host them, to invite them into my life, to invite them into what's going on. Maybe I need to invite them to my house or, or things like that. But, but God, I pray that we would be people who are hospitable, that we would invite people into our lives, that we would be vulnerable and open up and let people see who we really are. God, I also pray that we'd be people who use our gifts and service. Because that is the greatest picture, to see the church work together to accomplish the bigger purpose, which is multiplying churches, multiplying disciples, and seeing your name made famous among the nations. And so, God, I pray that you would convict us, that as we close with the song, God, you would have your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's a very simple thing. If you've never